we have to be open to embracing their diversity and their their you know individuality and, and every student needs different accommodations and different modifications and the goal as an educator is not what so much what I can put into the student but instead what can I get out of the student you know from the outreach department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin Texas this is a sense of Texas here is your host Emily Coleman welcome to a sense of Texas I'm Emily Coleman I frequently discuss the importance of mentors and role models in our school and for our students, and we have many educators and employees on our campus who meet that need every day. Craig Edgley is a math teacher here on campus, and he shares the mutualism of education and how inspiration goes both ways. Well, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Craig Edgley. Um, I am 34 years old. I got my bachelor's degree uh, back in 2011 from DeVry University, and I recently got my master's degree from Texas Tech University in 2021. Uh, this is my seventh year working here at TSBVI. Mm -hmm. I have two daughters and I want to say about 18 years ago, I di I was diagnosed with bacterial meningitis, mm. and from that diagnosis, um, it really messed with my central nervous system, and so not only did it mess with my vision, but it also messed with my hearing, and so um, in terms of my vision, I'm totally blind on my left side, uh, no light perception. On my right side, I have a small little sliver uh, that I, of, of view that I can see out of, but it's like 20 over 800. And in terms of my hearing, uh, in my left ear, kind of the same situation. Um, not very much hearing in my left ear. Uh, in my right ear, I hear pretty good, but I wear hearing aids in both ears to kind of balance and localize sound. So I consider myself an individual with deaf blindness. I think I think you would qualify as an individual with deaf blindness. <laughs> Now, so Craig, so you, so that was like when you were like 16 years old? Yeah, Is, absolutely, yes. Okay, and then did you lose your hearing and your vision right away, or did it take some time? Right away. So uh, the incident happened where I went to the hospital, and when I went to the hospital, um, the meningitis had already pretty much taken its toll to where uh, the meningi in the brain had already swelled to the point where my body was starting to shut down. Mm -hmm. And so I went into uh, a coma, and I was in a coma, they say, for about a week or so. Wow. Uh, on the respirator, in the coma. Um, I, and part of it was uh, medically induced, I believe. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure all of the ins and outs of that, but they wanted to get the brain to try to, to kind of start to repair itself before I started doing too much. Mm -hmm. uh, but by the time I came to and, and they took the respirator out of me and everything, um, I woke up to the blindness and the hearing impairment all at once at the same time. Wow. So how long until you went back to school? Or, I mean, were they even prepared to serve you when you got back to school? They definitely weren't prepared to serve me <laughs> yeah, when I got back to school. I come, so I, I was born in, uh, in Houston, Texas. I'm a native of Houston, Texas, right. but... Um, by the time I got to the eighth grade, my dad had moved us out to the suburbs. Hmm. And so I kind of grew up in Fresno, Texas, like hmm. a little suburb city right outside of Missouri City. Mm -hmm. And um, 
they they had TVS, um, mm-hmm. but you know they they technology wise and and all those things they were very far behind, uh, which you would mm-hmm. find probably in like a urban city or like a you know like a Houston or a San Antonio or you know Dallas, some big city where they have a lot of stuff, and so. Um, for the last two months, I pretty much just rehabbed. Mm. Um, I was in and out of, you know, like a like an outpatient rehab center um, in Houston. Mm-hmm. And so just trying to get my, my mobility back, get my strength back. And uh, I pretty much my junior year, I it, it was it was already in, in uh, March, like towards the end of March. So I did not go back to school. Yeah. For that, those last couple of months. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Probably for you, too. You uh-huh, probably yeah, needed yeah. to do that. So you, uh, did they teach you, I, I have all these questions now about like your education stuff before yep. I, I yeah, you're absolutely. here for your professionalism, but you know, I'm curious absolutely. about this other stuff. Yeah. Um, did you, when you went back your senior year, did you start learning Braille right away or did they push that off? I did. They, uh, so I had this wonderful, wonderful retired, uh, Braille specialist who came in and she had free time cause she was retired. And so, <laughs> so she came into my high school and they cleared out a book room. Um, they, they didn't have a special room for me to go to or anything like that. So they cleared out a book room, an old book room that they had. And I would spend like, cause my senior year, I didn't have a, a big load of courses that I needed to take. Okay. And so I spent a lot of time in the book room, uh, learning Braille and then also in the library trying to learn JAWS and, uh, how to use, navigate JAWS using the PC. Mm-hmm. And so they knew I didn't have a lot of time to try to get these skills. And so. Uh, it was pretty much most of my senior year with the few academic classes that I had, you know, English for and um, I think I had uh, maybe government economics. And other than that, I pretty much spent a lot, a lot of time just straight in Braille learning and uh, assistive technology learning mm-hmm. and training and O&M training, too, with the cane. That's great. That's so great that they just jumped in and started giving you everything. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Now, what did you get your bachelor's degree in? So my bachelor's degree, I have a bachelor's of science in technical management. Oh. Uh, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of like project management. And okay. So, so it's kind of like, uh, you know, you you navigating the project from, from the start of the project to the end of the project and just uh, kind of treating management as a science. Hmm. And so breaking down all the different aspects of, of leadership and team management and just everything you could think about. But instead of using management, like in a broad sense, they break it down to a science and like a like a scientific method, almost like the science of management, Mm -hmm. you know. So how did you get from that to TSBVI? Originally, I got my my bachelor's in technical management and I got my minor in criminal justice. Mm -hmm. And so my first track was law school and I really wanted to be a lawyer. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and things happen, you know, things yeah. happen. I, I did one year of law school and uh, even though I passed my 1L year, when I got to at the I was doing a, a non-traditional law school, which is a law school that's based in, in California and it's online. OK. And so uh, one of the requirements of that is that you have to pass what they call the baby bar, which is like a, you know, a law exam that gives you one third of what the bar exam would be. Okay. Um, and they call it the first year law students exam. And so I had some difficulty passing that exam several times. And oh. I decided that, you know, I better look for my second career choice that I'm interested in. And uh, 
education has always been one of my passions. Um, I, I love teaching. I love talking. I love, <laughs> and so, so, so it, it, it came naturally to me, you know, as it wasn't my number one option, yeah. but, uh, you know, it came, it became my, my number one option when my number one option kind of fell through. So then you, were you living in Austin and that's why you started working at TSBVI or did you relocate here? So, um, during my senior year in high school, uh, I would come here for a lot of sharp programs. Okay. Um, and so, uh, I did like it, at that time, you know, it was people like Sharon Nichols and Peggy Briscoe and all them, and I, I would just go through their short-term programs and and learn different how to use calculators because they didn't really teach me how to use calculator. They didn't know how to teach audio graphing calculators and stuff like that at, mm -hmm. at my school at that time. Uh, but so I did a lot of short-term programs here to try to get some more skills, and then I did some summer programs here, and then I was like, you know what? I really like it here. So, <laughs> so then uh, uh, after I graduated high school, I decided to continue getting more uh, independent living skills training and things like that through mm -hmm. the post-secondary program. Mm -hmm. And that, that was kind of like the gap that bridged me over from, um, from high school into college. And so um, I did one year in the post-secondary program back in 2006 and after that, I felt like I had the skills that I needed uh, to be successful in college. And so that's when I went on to Austin Community College. Okay. And so I started my college career at Austin Community College and um, moved out into like um, student apartments, I'm sorry, here in Austin. So I did one year of college there. And then I did the rest of my degree in Houston because my first daughter decided to... <laughs> be ready to be born into the world. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> she was the reason why I went back to Houston um, okay. because her mom at the time did not did not really want to have our first child here in, uh, in Austin. Mm -hmm. And so she wanted to go back to Houston where we had more family and more support. We moved back to Houston, and that's where I finished up my, my bachelor's at DeVry. After finishing my bachelor's at DeVry, um, the job market in Houston was really, really competitive. Um, and not only that, you know, I wanted to do law school and things like that, but I also kind of needed steady income. And so I, I, I was doing law school and trying to find steady income and couldn't really find it in Houston. And so that's what prompted me, hey, maybe I should try moving back to Austin and checking out the job market there. Mm -hmm. And so I put in some applications into Austin ISD, um, just not, not, to do, not to be a teacher, but just to work oh. as a tutor. Mm -hmm. um, and so I put in applications and they, they hired me. And so that was the AmeriCorps program. Oh. And uh, that's what brought me back to Austin. So when you got hired at TSBVI, what was the first position you were hired in here? Uh, my first position here at TSBVI, I was hired here as a TA. Okay. Um, and I, I was one of those floating TAs. So uh, I kind of got a chance to look at all the different teachers and all the different teaching styles. And, and, and that really was amazing for me, mm -hmm. uh, being able to see, you know, uh, how it's done here. Um, yeah. And I had a whole year of just watching great teachers and watching, you know, some sighted teachers, some blind teachers, just getting a chance to sit back and watch all of them in action. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was really inspirational for me. Um, yeah, is that why you went to get your teaching certification? Absolutely. Um, that that prompted me, you know, watching uh, the teachers here and, and seeing, you know, the, the teaching and learning process. I kind of just fell in love with it. Um, and so I had some opportunities, you know, to tutor some students in, in AISD and then had some opportunities to be a TA for some students here at TSB. 
And I felt like teaching was the right fit for me, um, mm-hmm. being able to work with the students and interact with them. And um, that it, it felt like I was called to teach. That's that's mm-hmm. kind of what it started to feel like, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so from there, uh, a job opening came up because one of the teachers who was in the middle school department at the time moved over to the technology department. And when she moved over to the technology department, you know, the opening was there. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'm underqualified. Maybe I'm qualified. I was kind of wrestling with it for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I just decided to go for it. And uh, I put in my application uh, and got an interview. And Nice. And it was nice. <laughs> now, what certifications do you hold now? Because you must have a couple at least. Yes, because I started off as a middle school teacher, Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm certified in core subjects, um, middle school, 4-8, grades 4 through 8. Okay. And then I'm also certified in uh, secondary mathematics, 7 through 12. Uh I'm also uh, certified as a special education teacher. Wow. Um, I'm also certified as an ESL teacher. Yeah. And I'm also certified as a teacher for students with visual impairments. You know, I was just, uh, when I was downtown at the Capitol on Monday testifying, and I was trying to talk about how many certifications our teachers have to have, <laughs> you would have been a great example. Yeah, you just yeah. listed five that you <laughs> that you hold for the yeah. job that you do, which is insane. And every one of those, you have a state test you have to take, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. They all come along with a state test. You got to be... Uh, and, and since I did not get my uh, bachelor's degree in education, mm-hmm. I also had to go through an alternative certification program. Oh, yeah. And so here I've been, you know, I was a TA for one year and then I kind of was a special educator yeah. uh, with just using my special education certificate to kind of go through the Texas Tech program. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I finished the Texas Tech program, then I got my CTVI. And so kind of like one year TA, four years special educator and then two years CTVA. Well, you recently were given an award here of Outstanding Teacher of Students with Visual Impairment, which is kind of cool because you have to be nominated by your peers and then there's a big committee that makes the selection. So why do you think you were nominated and does it mean anything to you or do you just kind of feel like it's all in a day's work? I was very shocked that I was nominated. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, for, for me, I feel like I, I I guess I just have the mindset that I come I come to work and I work as hard as I can, but you don't really stop and smell the roses, it, you know, because with, with teaching is so so kind of fast paced. You know, everything you got to get it done and you got to get your paperwork in. And you mm-hmm. got to work. You got to build rapport with the students, and it's just so much that you got to get done that you never really stop back and just look at how much you've accomplished. And and I, I I'm one of those people that just forget to sometimes stand back and. And see how much, you know, that I've accomplished as a teacher. And uh, just, I think thinking back, I feel like it's, you know, um, I feel like it all boils down to the the mutuality of, of teaching. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's a mutualism between, and, and for me, that's, that's my biggest thing, is that, you know, I learn a lot from my students just as much as my students learn a lot from me. Mm-hmm. And and so the, building that rapport with them and, and having that mutual respect with them and then, I feel like uh, just the same with my colleagues, just, you know, um, and then trying to figure out a way to craft the the education and the curriculum to fit the students and, and not, you know, not try to take a one size all approach to it, but just really 
think outside of the box and, and use innovation and creativity to meet the needs of the students. And mm-hmm. I, I would hope that that's why <laughs> I was selected, you know, because that's that's really what I, my goal is, is to try to, um, you know, meet the need of each and every individual student that comes into the classroom and, and try to get the curriculum to them in a way that fits their needs. And and that, that, that requires a lot of innovation. It requires mm-hmm. a lot of creativity. It requires a lot of adapting and accommodating and, and modifying instruction. But I think that to me, that's that's really what I would hope makes me a good teacher because that's that's what my goal is, you know. So tell us a little bit about your teacher preparation experience. What accommodations did you use through college to help you be successful? So the biggest accommodation, the first stop for any student, you know, with a, a visual impairment or any kind of disability going into college, you, you need to find the office for students with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And um, that's pretty much my number one go-to place. And, and being, going and getting started at Austin Community College, I was able to meet Miss Judy Hay. Mm. And, oh, man, she is one of the most amazing people <laughs> that I have ever met in my entire life. I mean, she walked me through, here's how we're going to, uh, you know, communicate between you and your professors. And here's how the professors are going to communicate with us. And we're going to make sure that you have Braille when you need Braille. And we're going to make sure you have tactile graphics when you need tactile graphics and wow. what you know what kind of assistive technology do you need and what kind of orientation mobility training do you need and i just stopped there and mapped out all of my needs you know and and she she double checked and verified my disability with all the medical professionals and everything like that mm-hmm. and then based on that we kind of just hit the ground running and 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 it's always like here's where we're going to start at but if it's not working then come back to the Office for Students with Disabilities and we'll adjust it and change it. Hmm. Um, and I feel like that was my biggest, biggest help getting through college is working closely with the Office for Students with Disabilities uh, at every university I attended to make sure that I had the accommodations and modifications that I needed to be successful in college. Uh, but in addition to that, um, I would definitely say the learning lab <laughs> and the school library, mm-hmm. uh, two two of my favorite places to be to get me through college, yes. Because a lot of times the professors are teaching on the board and they don't always have time to stop and make sure that the the kid who has blindness is able to understand what's going on. And so yeah, being able to go to the learning lab and get things retaught to me uh, or ask questions and then also being able to go to the library and get help with uh, – any kind of research and stuff that I need to do, that was really helpful to get through college as well. Yeah, it sounds like you, if you're not a person that's willing to seek out those resources, that you're going to have a much harder time because they certainly don't come to you, right? You have to go find them. Absolutely, absolutely. You got to be proactive about it. You got to speak up when when there's a need because if not, then, you know, in college, it's not like high school and middle school where, you know, where the teachers are kind of obligated more so mm-hmm. to to make sure that they're meeting all of your needs. It's kind of like you've paid your money. Yeah. And so if you don't decide to go and get the help you need, it's kind of like, you know, it's here for you, but, you know, yeah. if you don't go get it, then they're not going to bring it to you. So what did you face any challenges specifically to getting teacher certification that you had to overcome? Absolutely. Um, accessibility hurdles were were gigantic um it took a lot of lot a lot of working with pearson and working with the testing companies to try to make sure that things were accessible Mm -hmm. and and also equitable 
and 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 it's not like a one size fits all type thing. And so, uh, for me, I use a combination of like CCTV, Braille, tactile graphics, audio calculators. I had to use, you know, just just a gambit of tools and 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 strategies. And uh, also had some pretty good mentors along the way. You know, um, my mentor teachers kind of said, you know, able to tell me what I needed to do or what was expected of me and then being able to work also with like technology experts and specialists and then uh, work with different people to be able to figure out if it's possible and if it, you know, and, and how can I access what I need to access to be able to be successful with getting my certifications. And if I couldn't access it, then what was a good alternative Mm -hmm. so that I could be able to still accomplish the same task, but you know, uh, with with the limitations that come along with blindness, because there are some limitations, and a lot of times, you know, you get a teacher that says, "Go to this website and uh, fill out this and that and this," and and then you get to the website and it's not accessible at all, and it's yeah. like, okay, well, there has to be. I, I I begin to take on a strategy of sometimes we put a band aid on it, and then sometimes we have to really really perform a good procedure to get it fixed. <laughs> You know, and so there was a lot of times going through certification and going through college where um, it was like put a Band-Aid on it. And, you know, instead of me filling out this form that is inaccessible, I'll, you know, do this other assignment, which is the same thing, just without the form and the the charts and pictures and all that kind of stuff. And so there was kind of it wasn't like a a long term solution, but I was able to get the information and, and prove to the who I needed to prove to that I was able to understand what I was doing. In the long term, I would hope that, you know, as we find more accessibility hurdles within Mm -hmm. the certification process, that we do address them and that we try to get them fixed long term. But finding that balance between, you know, get me through it (laughs) versus fix the issue. And so I did a lot of that, you know, down this journey of teacher certification. But uh, I feel like you just got to know when to fight and when to say, uh, give me an alternate assignment or an alternate task that I can do to prove that I have the knowledge that it takes to move on to the next step. So as a teacher, what kind of accommodations or devices do you find helpful in the classroom? So for me, um, I definitely rely a lot on on a JAW screen reader. Mm. Uh, I use my JAW screen reader with my Windows PC to do a lot, a lot of my work. Um, we have a lot of paperwork. We have a lot of different, um, like attendance. We have things, yeah. programs for attendance and programs for our special education paperwork. And we have programs for our grades. And, um, so I use the JAWS screen reader and it's been my best friend ever since <laughs> I've, ever since I've graduated out of high school, Yeah. Uh, because it, it, it brings a lot of things that were inaccessible, and, and makes them accessible for me. Um, now, there are some things that are not JAWS friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and for that, I have definitely relied on a team of of helpers. Working with the registrar department or the CSR department, they, they have been really helpful. Okay. Um, and then also working with our librarians here, uh, they've been very helpful. Um, and then like working with the accessibility team that we have here, um, just trying to navigate different things and and then make changes to different things and figure out how we can make it work uh with jaws and and also i use a lot of Kurzweil too 
Oh, so, really? Yeah, Curse Wild OCR. I love it. Um, <laughs> scan it in, and it reads it back to you. Nice. It's one of my favorites. Um, uh, but also using voiceover with, with the Apple device. Mm-hmm. And then I just, I mean, just as a math teacher, I use a host of, of talking technology, like calculators and and different things like that. And But I use Braille and tactile graphics almost just as much as the kids do because... I'm sure. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as them, yeah, so... Yeah. Not to get too controversial, but do you teach exclusively Nemeth in your class? That is a great question. <laughs> For the most part, I do. For the most part, I do. Yeah. Now, there are, uh, especially with the Desmos graphing calculator, um, what I'm finding is that a lot of the Braille displays uh, that that are coming out are programmed to do UEB math. Yeah. And and so you, we kind of got to change with the times a little bit. But um, um, I mean, you can always just buy an older Braille display or something like that. But it feels like there's a shift going towards UEB math, and and yeah. and I'm slowly trying to help some of my kiddos get used to it. But when it comes to teaching higher level math and and trying to teach the UEB math code, you got to find a balance. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you can use you can use Nimit within the context of UEB. Um, if you do, if you use the the Nimit indicator, mm-hmm. you can pretty much use your Nimit code, and it's still allowable. It's one; it doesn't break the rules. Yeah. And so, I'm, I've kind of taught. That's kind of our our little get around it for now. But <laughs> I feel like there's a move towards UEB math that needs to be, you know. Yeah. I do know that a lot of states are using UEB math, and so it's it all depends on what technology, like you said, what technology is coming out, what textbooks are available. You kind of got to go with what you got. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, the more because we would have to reprint different textbooks if it's in UEB, yeah. you know, and so that that would make it more challenging. So yeah, I'm sure uh, that you're a role model for a lot of our students on campus and even those who probably don't want to become teachers just because you get to spend a lot of time with them. So what advice do you have to share with our students that are maybe preparing for adulthood or other students? My advice, my, my greatest piece of advice that I would give is that being independent looks different for everybody. And you have to really, really identify for yourself what being independent looks like because um independence i feel like for me is is something that that comes from within i will always depend on people to do certain things and i probably would always depend on people to do certain things with or without the blindness and and so i feel like finding your level of independence is paramount as you transition from from childhood to adulthood and then once you have an idea of what independence looks like for you, then don't let anybody stop you from achieving that level of independence. Um, but just define independence for yourself and accomplish uh, your goals and your dreams and everything that you want to accomplish within your own definition of independence, but also not being afraid to ask for help when you need it. Seek out assistance when you need it and find the balance. When do I tackle this challenge independently? And when do I go and ask somebody to help me? Um, Because what you'll find is that there are a lot of people, whether sighted or blind, (laughs) who have to recognize and realize their own limitations and then find success within those limitations. Like find a way to be successful at at whatever you're trying to accomplish in life uh, within your own limitations, within your own 
you know, I guess uh, restrictions that come along with, with being an individual with a disability or especially an individual with blindness or deafness. The goal as an educator is not what so much what I can put into the student, but instead, what can I get out of the student, you know? And that's going to look different for every student. And so uh, it, it's not a one-size-fits-all solution to being a teacher. Uh, because every student is an individual and every student is different. And, and when they come into the door, we can't make them fit inside of one little mold. Uh, we have to be open to embracing their diversity and their, their you know, individuality. And, and every student needs different accommodations and different modifications and different approaches to instruction. And so, uh, that, like I said, it's, it's like a reciprocity. It's not so much what all can I put into you, but... I'm also learning from you, you know, you, we're, we're, it's a back and forth, it's a back and forth, but I think that's my biggest thing with, with teaching is that I, I try not so much to give them the fish, but to teach them to be fishers and teach them to go out and, and pursue information and, and have the tools and the resources that they need to be lifetime learners. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. Craig's words of wisdom will stick with me. We all should be empowered to define independence for ourselves. From the TSBBI Outreach Department and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.